Mastodon thing. Do you know what that is? Uh, it's. I didn't know what it was until. It's a social this week. media. Th- I all I know is that like six months ago, somebody was like, "Hey, I just got an account on Mastodon." Yeah. yeah. And so um, I just signed up for it because I didn't want anybody to take my Twitter username just in case like Twitter became more hospitable to Nazis. So did you get it? Well, it did. Well, it did. But like the the joke's on Mastodon because I didn't leave. Um, So, yeah, it was like over the last week, like everybody has been making these like broad strokes proclamations about how everyone is leaving Twitter to go on to this other site. Right. Are they making these statements on Twitter? Yes, they are. Um, but like, what you're what you're what you're seeing is like, I guess, um, you know, Twitter cracked down on a bunch of users. Of course, all the people they cracked down on were people who were not Nazis. Um, they were, right. you know, good accounts, funny accounts who often were suspended because they were making fun of um, Nazis, mm. um, which is a great way to get suspended uh, from Twitter, which yeah. is a Nazi sympathetic website. Yep, that is um, just like a key. <laughs> key yeah. hallmark of what Twitter is and stands for. Yeah, but so everyone is talking, they, they've like found this alternative site, right, that from what we've seen is like a little bit, you know, friendlier toward good people. Yeah. You know, like it's, it does a, it has a much more clear-eyed view of like cracking down on hate speech and all these things. And I just, I don't know if I can be more online than I already am, Laura. Well, is the idea that you're leaving Twitter to go That's, to Mastodon? That is the general that like, well, it de- I definitely can't do both because like my brain is already like fully wired right. to the internet at this point. Like I can't, I can't possibly be more online than I already am. But so, question: yeah. Do the people posting about how there are herds of people leaving Twitter mm-hmm. to go to Mastodon mm-hmm. know that uh, real life Mastodons like died? <laughs> In the ice age, like while hurting, like away from, like as the climate changed, like do they, they know that? You'd think they would have picked an animal that wasn't extinct. You would think um, so. No, but it's it's weird because I was like trying to envision, like, and I haven't really poked around the site much. I don't have a username yet. Apparently, you're ahead of me. I haven't poked um, around. I don't know. I I yeah. saw that the posts were called toots. Yeah, they're called toots. I, I can't. <laughs> I've, it took, do you know how long it took me to like say the word tweet unironically and so not feel like and an idiot? You're a bird guy. Yeah. Like you love birds, and that was still like, a big deal. I can't be. I can't be like getting on there all serious about how I'm like tooting my opinions. Like I'm. <laughs> like <laughs> it's it doesn't work. I can't. And like, I don't know. It's one of those things. Like, is writer is the writing is the online writing community really going to move sites? I mean, maybe, maybe it is, and then eventually, years from now. But so here's the thing about the writer community moving yeah. is that the Nazis follow the writers, yeah. as evidenced by I was just in WorldCon in San Jose over the weekend, yeah. and like some fucking Nazis showed really? up to protest. Really? Yeah, on Saturday. Oh, wow. It was like it was like clockwork. It was like one to four, and then as soon as the clock struck four, like they got out of there. Actually, I'm fascinated by this. So yeah, these people, some. So yeah, give me the situation okay. here. Um. So first of all, I would like to preface this by saying I missed the Nazis because I was having tacos with an editor from Orbit, and then we came in the a different entrance, and then I was like too busy chatting. Truly, the most anti-fascist action you can take: eating tacos. Yeah. Um, continue. Yeah, and it, but they it, and like it wasn't like the tacos close to like the convention center. Like we walked for like fifteen minutes. You found the good to, tacos to get the good tacos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Um, that was great. Like none of the menus were in English. It was it was mm-hmm. exactly the kind of taco experience I wanted for right. my first time in California. Right. But so anyway, I miss the Nazis. Is mm-hmm. is is what like I want to preface. They showed this. up to. I just don't even okay. understand the point. So there is a guy who ostensibly writes science fiction and slash or fantasy. Uh-huh. And he's like a serial harasser, yeah, right? And sure. so, like, he was making a big stink of ever over things a few years ago, and he was banned from WorldCon for life. Okay, and he got 
real mad. And, and this for, was around the time of like the sad puppy thing. And real quick, just so everyone listening, Worldcon is a science fiction fantasy. Worldcon is the like world science fiction convention. Uh-huh. So it. it is it is the conference. It moves places every year, which is why it's called Worldcon. This yeah. year it was the seventy sixth. Right, Worldcon. Yeah, it was right. in San Jose. Next year it's going to be in Dublin. The year after that it's going to be in New Zealand. Mm. Yeah, we should go to that one. We should go to that That'd one. Yeah. So become a Patreon <laughs> by going. <laughs> um, Everyone, I'll just be like the guy making Vegemite jokes. Yeah. Like Have you ever corn. had Never, Vegemite? Not once it's in my actually life. really good. Oh God. The trick is to spread it very thin on toast. Yeah. So anyway. So we're like three tangents. So we're like three tangents in. I haven't seen you in a week and I I missed you and I I haven't like talked to you about all of my inane thoughts. So sorry, folks. It's going to be a little meandering today. Okay. So anyway, this guy several years ago was banned from Worldcon and he's made a stink online ever since. He's trying to sue the conference. He Uh actually went in on either like Friday or Saturday and tried to sign up, but like didn't even use his like a fake name. Like he just used like his real name and they were like, no, go away. So anyway, before the conference, this guy um, connected with some other uh, professional haters mm-hmm. um, who have ties to white supremacist organizations and was yeah. like, we need to protest this shit. Yeah, we're not really using Nazi as a figure of speech, by the way. Like, yeah. We're talking about people. Like who are actually who are Nazis. <laughs> yeah. And so and so then they were like, great, great. So like, how are we going to get other people to protest? Right. And so what they did is instead of being like, we're protesting the fact that they banned this dude, they decided to protest pedophilia in science fiction. Hmm. Um, So, like, thus implying that the people who were, like, at the convention or specifically, like, a couple of people were, you know, were pedophiles. That's a big move on the alt-right. It's a very big move. move. Um, It's a very, very big move. Um, There was, like, some sort of, like, picture or, like, meme that they used to, like, prove it. And it was just, like, a dude holding hands with, like, a small-handed woman (laughs) that they, like, claimed was a child. So, anyway, (laughs) we're, like, very many levels deep into how ridiculous this this is. And so they, um, so there were counter-protesters and, you know, and there was a blood, there was, like, a blood mobile for, like, giving blood at this conference and so there were people who were in there and they were like giving blood and they finished their recovery time and then like the nazis set up camp right outside the blood mobile and so there were people who were like stuck in there but luckily there were a bunch of like big strapping like white science fiction and fantasy writers who had these like beautiful pink shirts on who were like escorting people into the conference Um, So that was lovely. And then, yeah, there were probably about like 20 to 30 of them all told. And they had like poorly made signs and, you know, hats and whatever. And then they were just there at the conference. And then they left. I hope that someday when, you know, our civilization has crumbled to dust and the archaeologists are looking at us, um, this is like what they find, and they have to like parse out what in the world you're talking about, like yeah. with no, like the blood mobile and the people like protest. Like it sounds very, it sounds very exciting. And me just talking about my tacos. <laughs> I yeah. had the best sopes of my entire life, Eric. They were very good. All of which is to say, you are not joining Mastodon. It sounds like. Well, um, I mean, nobody can take my username, but like you can cr- you can pry those ten thousand followers out of my cold dead hands. And also, <clears throat> I'm Jewish, and so I feel like leaving Twitter will just be letting the Nazis win, and they're not allowed to take what I like. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point too. Um, but I guess like for me, my broad thought on the social media migration thing that happens is like. Eventually, that site is gonna suck too, because that's what happens to internet sites where Remember everybody live congreg- journal and MySpace where everybody congregates. And- it just starts to suck, and I just can't like one thing that happens in the author world, right? Is you get all this instruction early on about how to use a platform, how to mm-hmm. be engaging on social media as it specifically relates to a platform, so that you can build your brand and build clout and make relationships and do all these things that are supposedly of substance, right? Yep. But then eventually everyone just decides, okay, time for a new site, and everyone suddenly is starting from zero again, building out all these connections and all this networking and all this you know, community that they supposedly had, and you just wipe it out, and that's what makes me a little bit uncomfortable. It's like I spent, you know, I mean, I do, um, you know, I screw around online mostly, but like 
it's a website that has every once in a while you make a good solid no, I, joke. I've met a lot. I've met a bunch of my authors on <laughs> say every once in a while. And thank you, Laura. <laughs> it took you a long time to pick up on that. <laughs> um, in between making like just awful jokes, apparently, thanks. Um, but like. You know, I, I've used the site for work, like, and it's taken some practice, right, to kind of get to know the people you're trying to, yeah. you know, be in touch with, all that kind of stuff. Like, and to a certain... curate your space so yeah, that you're yeah, in exactly. the right area. Exactly. Like, there's a certain there's a certain um, you know methodology to it that everyone is so willingly like able to just toss away, and I just well, you know I don't what know. I think it is. I think a lot of the people leaving, like, I think it's it's a lot about privilege because, like, yeah marginalized authors and creators who don't like they don't have the privilege of just being able to leave and then find their people elsewhere yeah you know like those those connections are very very important and very hard one and so i i think you know i don't i don't know the demographic you know well, it's, of people migrating to mastodon but I guarantee it is mostly like middle and upper class white people. Well, the problem the problem though is that it's tricky because a lot of people who feel compelled to leave Twitter are the ones who are being harassed off the site, right? Yeah, you know that's what I mean? True. So it's it's like this weird balance where there's not really any winning and like the problem of course is not that people are leaving it's that they're being forced off and you know there is i mean none we wouldn't be in this situation if Twitter was better at just enforcing basic decency you know, on its site, which it isn't doing. But um, I don't know. I guess it just feels, you know, as these kind of online communities build into something, we all keep telling ourselves are real, right? Like we keep saying, no, online stuff is real. Online stuff is, you know, it's valuable. And it, you know, makes a difference in, you know, how your book gets promoted and who you know and all these sorts of things. We should be, like, warier about just, like, everybody abandoning shit. I don't know, like... It's it just seems like a more complicated issue than that. So I will probably be one of the late adapters of Mastodon. Oh, should it ever I, happen? I am but, definitely a late adapter of all I wish technologies. Which isn't to knock it. I, and that's the other thing. It's like yeah, I am just generally against all technological pro, uh, progress or change I'm in ve- general. I'm very dumb. Is the first problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. No, I just, uh, I don't know. I see it and I'm like, Well, you don't have to go anywhere. What the hell was I doing on this website? However are we going to tell the people, how else are we going to ask the people, welcome to another week in books, what are you reading? (laughs) We're going to get on there and someone is going to have already locked up the print run account. There's someone on Mastodon right now, probably like running around with the loon as an avatar. We might be able to get print run just by itself rather than print run podcast though. So maybe we actually should start a thing. Ooh. Yeah, actually, pause the episode. We, <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane. With me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Back from WorldCon. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. Um, today is August 21st. Uh, we're a day late this week recording because of travel stuff. Um, we've got, I don't know, we're just going to kind of talk today. You know, we've got a few things that we missed over the last couple weeks that um, because we were off last week from also travel things. Um, so it's going to be kind of a free-flowing episode today, which personally I enjoy because it's nice to talk to you. And I think we end up touching on better things than some of our structured stuff. But um, before we get to any of that goodness, how about the basic rundown? Yeah, so we will still have all three special episodes for you this month. That includes still our query August. show. It's still August. <laughs> that includes our query show, our first pages show. And then <clears throat> this month we're going to be doing a um, a synopsis yeah. episode. I kept wanting yeah. to say proposal, but proposal is a very different thing. It's like yeah. 40 pages long, and we can't do that in one episode. No, we cannot. Um, so we might actually, if you really want <laughs> aloud a, whole a book proposal, proposal, that'd be good. If you really want a proposal, we can do like maybe one one aspect of it a month, yeah. like one competition, one whatever. So write in if that interests you. But no, we will just be doing the synopsis. So we have not yet recorded it. Because it's still August, so send those to us. We're at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Still August. Also, if you would like to see Print Run be live at Worldcon in either Dublin or in New Zealand, uh, you should become a member. So go over to patreon.com and look up Print Run Podcast, and we're there. We have some jokes. We make some good posts. Mm-hmm. Um you know, mm-hmm. there you go. We yeah. really appreciate it. Every, you know, $3, $3 snippet comes and helps us get one step closer to actually being in a hobbit's home. 
Excellent. <laughs> um, but so speaking of hobbits, this, yes. is my, this is my professional radio transition. Are you ready? Yeah. Um, hobbits, which are a fantasy creation. Yes. Um, you were at a fantasy convention, Laura. Technically you were science at, fiction, but uh, yes. Damn it. Um, I you, mean, it was both. It so was both. You were at Worldcon. Yes. Tell me about it. So Worldcon um, has, I don't know how many attendees uh, I don't know the official numbers, but also I don't particularly know because it was at this gigantic conference center. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially what it is, is it is a worldwide, but specifically like literature focused conference, mm-hmm. right? So you go into the dealer's hall and there's a bunch of bookshops and a bunch of writers and publishers, you know, like all all the good stuff happening. Yeah. But this year I went to the Hugos for the first time. The Hugos. The Hugos. Um, named after Hugo Gernsback, who is a editor a million years ago for a science fiction magazine. Okay. Um, we've reached the end of my knowledge about Hugo. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I went to the Hugos for the first time because my author, River Solomon, who wrote An Unkindness of Ghosts, was up for the um, Campbell Award, the which book. is not a Hugo. Yeah, you should buy the book. It's really good. It's really good, yeah. um, obviously. And so, yeah, so they were up for the award. They did not win, but that's okay because afterwards we went to George R.R. Martin's loser party. Oh, which was. (laughs) Yeah, they. So hold on. As we kind of discuss our. Like, I have. There's like this vision of people I kind of view as the print run extended universe. Yes. Like the canonical figures in our show. And like he's one of them. It's, yeah, it's, it's basically just George and Stephen King. In like this big, giant, like you know, uh, country-style farmhouse I've constructed where we put everyone we ever talk about in our house. You know, you've got, like... It's Ste- nice that it's a farmhouse. You've house. got, like, Stephen King over here in the foyer, you know? Oh, I think he'd be you- in the attic. Uh, maybe. I, I picture him more visible than that. Joyce Carol Oates is in the attic. Oh. He's just... We've locked her up there. <laughs> um, okay. But, She's Mrs. Rochester. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, okay. Um, but, you know, somewhere in this house, George R.R. R. Martin is not writing. You know, like he's yeah. doing any number of things. Sometimes he's juggling. Sometimes he's playing jacks on the floor. Um, he's playing PS4. Yeah, he's and like, like eating a cookie. Yeah, it's just like yeah. a bunch of different shit. Sometimes, sometimes he's painting like a full mural of a beautiful <laughs> sunset. Just elaborate works of art. Yeah. none of it is writing his book. Correct. Um, but you're telling me now that he's also throwing a, a loser party. So every year, right after the Hugos, uh-huh. for the <clears throat> nominees and I guess the winners and assorted friends of George. Do the winners get to go? Trademark. Yes, they get to go, but they have to wear a hat. <laughs> They have to wear a dumb hat. So this year the hats actually weren't that great because they were Irish themed for Worldcon for next year. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, in the past people have had to wear like a like a rubber chicken hat or like a dunce cap mm-hmm. or things like that. So they're allowed to go, yes. Um, but so I went for the first time this year, and so I regret to inform you that instead of writing, George R. R. Martin was indeed throwing what I like to call nerd prom. Because that's exactly what it was. There was like a chocolate fountain and nachos Mm -hmm. and an open bar, um, which I am very pro open bar, first of all. But I am very like, but they had this like special song of ice and fire sour that I think was from like. Like, I think George R. R. Martin had this like sour made that's like branded like just for him. But it was a very, like, mediocre sour ale. Like, it was good. It was super drinkable. Like, it was actually really good for a, you know, for an open bar setting. But I was like, George, if you're going to have branded beer. He's, like, launching liquor lines and stuff. Yeah. yeah, If you're going to have branded beer, like, make it more interesting. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, anyway, I had two. Mm-hmm. Instead of like the six I was planning, if it would have been like a true, yeah. truly great sour. Uh-huh. Um, but it was at this, it was at this club. I'm pretty <clears> sure it was like the first time that 99.9% of the people attending this party had ever really been welcomed into a club. Um, and it was a lot of fun. There were two dudes dressed as robots. One was like a robot predator. And mm-hmm. they were dancing in the floor and they're like they had lights all over their bodies that change color. And so then I got to take like instead of taking a picture with my date, I got to take a picture with the robot. So yeah. it truly was nerd prom. Excellent. Uh, not a single word was written, though. Yeah, that's a, that's a disappointment. Um, I'm going to need him to write the book. I'm going to need him <laughs> to do basically anything other like the one thing he's not doing, apparently. Um, but 
So what what else happened at this thing? N.K. Jemison cleaned up. Yeah. So so Nora, uh, I met her now, so I can call her Nora. You, oh my god. Um, yeah. So Nora was the first person. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> she's a friend of the podcast now. Also, oh, she can be in the she can be in yes, the extension. she she can I be guess in the she farmhouse. Already was. She already was because we uh, did her book on writing by reading that one time. Yeah, right? but like yeah. now she's like really yeah. in. Like now she gets the living room. Yeah. Um. So Nora won. Uh, best novel for the third novel in her Broken Earth trilogy, which means that she is the first person in the history of the world to win three best he- best novel Hugos in a row, and the first person to do it for all the books in a series. Yeah. And so basically, she is just like far and away better than everybody else on this entire planet. She's the standard. Um, yeah, she's no. she's the standard that no one will ever again reach. Um, and that was really exciting. And her speech was really good. You can see it online. Um, what else happened? So one of the things that's really eerie to me is Worldcon. It feels like I'm in the Twilight Zone because it's the first like it's the only conference I go to all year where like agents aren't centered as like celebrities. That is one very interesting and two honestly refreshing yeah it was great because like one thing that i've always found really weird about any conference setting like truth truthfully like full disclosure i think it's weird that agents get treated as well as they do at events like this i think that by and large we're the ones who should probably be treated the worst like in terms to make it like, clear, I was not invited to the losers party i was a plus one oh. which is honestly the way that it should be yeah no it was just like I don't know. You go to these conferences and, like, there's kind of this, I mean, honestly, there's, like, this uncomfortable attention that comes with, like, being an agent there because, obviously, it's full of writers and they're interested in talking to you for all these things. But, like, I just think that there's something skewed about it. And I really feel like something has kind of gone awry when the star of the conference is agents. So, like, to hear that at a conference, the people who are important are either the publishing houses, Hawking, Wares, it's you know. It's mostly right, just the right. writers. Like, and then, honestly, and then it's the writers. The writers. Actually, and even and that, the like, fans. It's... Like, people who write fan fiction were more important than I was. As they should be. Yeah. Because that suggests a thriving creative scene that isn't totally crushed by the weight of trying to, like, break in through the arbitrary tastes of yeah. a certain amount of gatekeepers. You know, like, I don't know. Like, to me, that's, that's really great to hear. And... Um, but yeah, so fan fiction people were there. Oh yeah. Tell me about that. Oh yeah. Well, um, there was a lot of fan fiction there. Like a lot of there were lots of there was lots of programming about it. Uh-huh. Um, they the there's a Hugo for the best fan cast, which is like a podcast. There's, um, you know, there's fan like related works. You yeah. know, so yeah, they yeah. give away like actual awards for this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, which was really funny coming off. Uh, I mean, it's not funny, but it was really interesting to see because it's such a vibrant part of the actual science fiction right. fantasy community. Yeah. But coming right off of the weird soap thing, yeah, which we should do a quick <laughs> recap of. Um, <laughs> that was that was what made me really sad that we weren't recording. So last week, yeah. So okay, give the people a recap because I want to hear you do a recap. Give yeah. the people a recap of the soap incident. Okay, so I want to get, like, the book that this was attached to. I want to get the title and author correct here. So this was um, this was a, I guess, a publicity giveaway, right? Like a... It was a subscription box a, that, yeah, like, somebody else was selling. a subscription box themed around the book. So it yeah, wasn't... Right. It had Got nothing it. to do with the publisher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. It was for Sarah Moss's A Court of Thorn and Roses series. And basically, they were mailing out in this subscription box, um, among other things... A bar of soap that was shaped like a human phallus. Um, it had a suction cup on the end of it, and it was purple and glittery. Yeah, so I'm um, just mailing out dicks um, so made out I, of soap in connection with this book. It's I a, would I would like to take this moment to tell everybody that uh, you should never ever put soap inside of you. Um, <laughs> don't don't have sex with the soap, please. Um, if you received one. Don't ever do that. Okay. Um, so that's good. We're here to, you know, protect the writer community from all sorts of things. including it's a health hazard, <laughs> including Eric. health hazards like that. <laughs> um, so, but anyway, so this whole thing happened and people were opening these boxes and, you know, pulling out these um, dick-shaped soaps. As well as some, and, like, explicit fan yeah, fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was and... just kind of this thing. And, you know, it's, I mean, obviously, young adult 
you know, YA Twitter, this is like right in the strike zone, right? Like this was the exact sort of thing that um, gets everybody riled up. It kind of, you know, hits that perfect chord, which in a way kind of makes it genius, you know? Um, and so my question to you is, like, and I guess Bloomsbury had nothing, you know, had nothing to do with this. It was an independent subscription box. Bloomsbury is the publisher of the book. They didn't have anything to do with this. I'm picturing, like, someone have who, like, some publicist or someone, you know, coming into work. You know, he's got his, um, you know, his cup of coffee. You know, he's kind of come in that morning, sits down, opens his email. Maybe he's, like, thinking today is going to be a nice, calm day. And suddenly the first, <laughs> the first email is like, well, yes, hey, um, there's someone mailing out um, illegal fallacy. fan fiction and dick soap about <laughs> in connection your, to one of your titles, your children's um, titles. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the, that's the other thing. Well, is this is a child's book? Well, it it's not it's actually. Not a so book. this this okay. So I was um, hanging out with a librarian, like a children's librarian, mm-hmm. when this news broke. Yeah, and I have not yet read these books. Um, but apparently, I'm missing out because they're just like a gigantic, like epic excuse just to have like lots of fairy fucking hmm. all over the place. Okay. So what this really is is like a new adult or an adult book. Like everybody's over 18. Everybody mm. is you know up to hundreds of years old. Um, but it's just like because new adult is not a category. Right. It's being sold in the YA section. Yeah. And so it's not actually a is book, this the book for that brings kids. Back new adult as a category. No, I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't know. Um, probably not because it's been, you know, a New York Times bestseller in the YA category. Yeah, probably because people are unwittingly giving their teenagers like books about fairy fucking. Yeah, that's great. Which I mean, like, yeah. you know, I fully believe that, you know, teens often have sex when they're teenagers. And... Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, you're, <laughs> you're saying. Hold on. <laughs> Uh, I, and I'm fully supportive, you know, like giving teens access to content that, you know, reflects the life they live. Hmm. Um, so in that way, you know, I'm not clutching my pearls about that. But like the name of this episode is going to be Where is Anyone's Mother? <laughs> oh, yeah, because regret is is already taken. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah. So I like honestly. I am the most concerned, you know, and I work in romance and erotica and I, you know, so none of this like scares me, but I am more concerned about people like sitting on the soap or more concerned about like the fact that people were selling fan fiction, yeah. which you can't do because it's somebody you're infringing on, you're sure. infringing on the copyright sure. of the, the author. So fan fiction is only like legal when it's given away. Um, And so that like that is the big thing for me. But, you know, there's been in the in the days since this soap fiasco. Right. And, you know, it's not as big of a deal as it seems because the the box itself was marketed to 18 plus. Yeah. It had it specifically on there that it was going to be explicit, you know, whatever. But it kind of brought up the argument of like how much sex there should be in YA. Because a lot of the reason that right. people are okay with this are saying, well, it's not YA, or if it is, like, you know, whatever, there's sex in it. Um, and so, Eric, how much sex <laughs> should there be in YA? Well, I think the first thing that's important here is that I'm definitely the person people want to hear from on this issue yes. as a young adult literature expert. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, I mean, I really don't have an opinion on that too much. I mean, it's one of those things where... Um, you know, like you're saying, like, obviously there's, there should be some, you know, it should reflect, you know, teen life, you know, but I'm interested in like kind of the mark, you know, the marketing of this, you know, I think, you know, it's, there's something about this that feels, you know, obviously overtly, you know, sexual and erotic in a way that feels like, and I guess, I mean, I'm trying to work through the thought here. It feels more overtly sexual in theme than perhaps young adult literature, even when it contains sex, you know, presents the, itself. The as box having. or the book itself? The box. Okay. I would say. Well yeah. Um, you know, and yeah. it's and it sounds I guess like what you're saying is it sounds like the you know, the books um are heavily geared around these themes and that's kind of part of the draw for a lot of people is it's you know, these are sexy books. Um but yeah, I don't know. I mean it's interesting like Having, I, I guess this like, this idea of like a subscription box service that just like you know sends you something in conjunction with a book like that is 
it's interesting. And my, maybe my question to you is, um, plus or minus for the book, this this whole th- escapade. Like that, all of this is happening. This, well, they had you, nothing to do with it. Like, well, that's not what even that's not what I'm asking. Okay, about. I'm asking, do you think that this event is going to help or hurt book sales for this in this author's career? Um, I think it's going to help. Yeah. And so do I. For these reasons. <laughs> um, I think that the people who have been caught up in this specific incident yeah. are not actually teenagers. Yeah. I think they're adults who kind of didn't necessarily look at this book before mm-hmm. and now are looking at this book and saying, oh, hey, I might read this. Yeah. Um, you know, like the the people clutching their pearls well, anyone, on Twitter. That's my other thing. Is anyone actually mad? Who's yeah, mad? Is yeah. are people mad or are they uh, just like scandalized in kind of a fun way? Like, All I saw was like the fun scandalized people. Honestly, it there there are two two camps of middle aged white women mm-hmm. in this in this yeah. specific debate. Yeah. Um one of them is very upset because they would never want their children to receive such a thing and they're very, very concerned. Um, and they don't believe that sex belongs in books for children, Uh which I'm like, fuck that. Like, I'm totally against that. Um, like absolutely sex belongs with in, in books for teenagers because teenagers have sex, like end of story. That's what it is. But so there's something, there's something different though about the idea of mailing. Yeah. And so that's different than there being sex in a book The second camp is... I mean, I guess there's more than two camps, but the two big camps that are fighting, I guess, they're not necessarily fighting each other. They're just fighting. Mm -hmm. Um, And the second camp is the group of middle-aged white women who think that this is acceptable and okay because they are looking at this work of fiction ostensibly for children. We know that it's actually not for children, but ostensibly for children, this book. Mm -hmm. And they are in a lot of ways thinking that it's theirs. You know, like when when you read a book for children as an adult, you are the other. Right. This book is not made for you. Like if you are reading, if you are. Yeah. Like if you are reading a book and you don't find the main character particularly, quote unquote, bangable, like that is not a you like that is not Probably a book problem. That's a you yeah. problem, right? <laughs> well, it's and the fact that you the book. It's like you're saying the book theoretically isn't written for it's you. It's not it, written for you, and but yeah. like sixty percent of YA or sixty uh, percent of books that are YA books that are read are read by like adults, right? And usually they're you know middle aged women that are writing them, and so there's this idea that like the reason that this box exists is because it's this group of people who find these characters so alluring and that of course like it makes good business sense to kind of create a product to appealing to those people but the the kind of the underlying aspect is the problem is not that there's it's a sexy box, right? The right. problem is that, well, first of all, the soap is unhealthy, and the second of all, there's <laughs> fan fiction. But the third problem there yeah. is that this box is allowing people who this book isn't for to claim the narrative. And I think that that is fascinating in a way that, I mean, obviously, the issue itself is funny and provocative, and obviously there's sort of a very, you know, there's an image at the center of it that is funny and makes for good internet fodder and all those sorts of things but it does sort of tear at the at the seams a little bit of what YA is like meant to be you know in a lot of ways because like it is like you're saying it's a tacit admission that these books while being um, supposedly for children are actually are actually not right like these are books that I mean if you are if you're if you're telling me this and I'll just play I don't know, devil's advocate, something's advocate here, mm-hmm. okay? You're telling me that we've the got... The soap penis is advocate. <laughs> As the advocate for the soap dick, <laughs> I'm going to start... <laughs> um, so you're telling me that there's a genre of literature out yeah. there. That category, is, technically, ca- but category. yes. There's a category of literature out there that is marketed or read 60% by people over the age of 18. Correct. And there's now subscription boxes being sold to those readers which technically i mean i really shouldn't you know on that when phrased that way there's not really a problem with it you know what i mean like yeah it's my question is are we going to hit a point where and maybe we've already passed it where ya is written for 
like where young adult literature is written expressly with adults in mind. Do you think that that's happening? Because in a so, way, it feels like we're gonna someone is going to respond to that market if. So getting into history. Yeah. No. I mean, here, I, mean I mean, I know we're kind of veering into um, something deeper than maybe we were planning, but I'm interested. Yeah. So so I have studied the emergence of the YA market academically. Yeah. Right. And one thing to really note is that YA as a category is extremely young. It only started to emerge in the 50s and wasn't fully formed for many you know, yeah. decades after that. Um, but there are several considered start points for the first YA novel. Um, and two of the three main start points were books that were written by teenagers. Mm-hmm. So it was like so this this category started by teenagers writing books for themselves. By teens for teens. Yeah. And yeah, it's like FUBU, but like right. about books. <laughs> um, <laughs> and mm-hmm. so essentially like what has happened as this has become, you know, a marketable thing and also, you know, like it's really hard to find a teenager that's really good at writing books. Mm-hmm. You know, what this has done is it's essentially turned into a category of books that is written by adults with a, you know, different frontal lobes, different um, different worldviews, uh-huh. different points of view, different uh-huh. ideas about propriety uh-huh. than, hey, this is my life. And so the act of writing YA as an adult is essentially othering your audience very much from the beginning because you as the creator are not who this book is for. You're othering yourself in a well, way. Well, I mean, it depends on which lens you look look through it. But, you know, if you kind of consider that, like, there are, you know, 60% of the readers are adults now and they're saying, hey, this is for me. Whether, you know, it's with their words or with, you know, the they're buying <clears throat> a, a subscription box like this. They're saying, hey, this is mine. And in a lot of ways, they're not wrong because the the people writing the books are also like them. So that's I think that's where it gets hard. You know, we can we can go deeper into exactly what YA is. And there's a very like limited. Well, we've done very, that. Yeah, we have done that. There's an episode of ours on that. And yeah. And there's very like specific things that make YA YA. But I yeah. think that making kind of the, the readers claiming this type of book for themselves is because they don't want to be othered. It's because they see who the writer is and they say, I'm like that. And they want to be part of it. And so the question then becomes, is that a good direction for YA to take? Because what you've just described is, I mean, forget whatever you call the category. Just drop that out of your mind for a second. What you have here is adults Mm -hmm. writing books with other adults in mind and marketing those books using adult material. Yeah. None of those things have anything to do with young adults. <laughs> and so I... Except for, like, the, the arc uh, and the sure. development oh, of oh, the main of characters. No, yeah. On the page, absolutely. But as a, like, a selling category and as, like, yeah. a... Like, eventually, I mean, we've seen it all the time, especially in YA. Like, I feel like oftentimes more than any other category, you go on um, any forum where people are discussing the field. I'm thinking specifically of Twitter because that's yeah. where I see most... Like, people are talking about trends, right? You have editors asking for what they want. You have agents talking about what sort of things they're seeing and looking for you have writers i think like more than maybe more than other genres you have people kind of writing the trend a little bit you've got people trying to capitalize faster exactly because it's a smaller market exactly moves faster yeah but like eventually with that sort of like i'll say this about ya the whole industry writers editors agents everybody these are people who are much more business savvy and business focused than just about anybody. maybe they're ro- extremely maybe, logged on maybe they're ro- on mastodon and twitter <laughs> maybe romance is like a little bit more like well savvy romance as a, is different it's different yeah. but like but these the are, market share is a lot bigger sure. so so the percentage of savvy ya authors is much higher it's than higher the within the field yeah but so my point though with all of that is that people that savvy aren't going to ignore who their audience actually is right you know like you're eventually going to hit a point where mm, writing for adults, we can call it whatever we want, but I'm writing for adults, and which is why and all of the main characters are 18 now instead of 14. Exactly. Oh, that's see, I didn't even know that, and that's really interesting. Yeah. And um, it's gonna. I mean, I've heard people say before, you know, YA is a category, not an age group. You know, which is, 
you know, I think largely true. You know, it's and it's sort of is presented as kind of this liberatory point, right? It's like this is a reason why we as adults can appreciate this form of literature because I'm not too old for it. It is a form that is meant for me because right. I enjoy it and I find value in it. And I'm just I don't know, like the dick soap just brings it all out, you know, it like really <laughs> it really kinda tears at those scenes a little bit and I'm I'm interested in it, but there's a there's we'll a really see. funny joke in there about a dick tearing at seams. Um, okay, well. but we're gonna move on. We're gonna move on. Do, we're what, gonna keep noodling on this, and have? I bet that yeah. this is gonna be something we come back to again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, but what else? Speaking of, um, you know, just just <laughs> I'm excited dicks to hear that how are you bad this, yeah. for your how health. Are we doing it? Do it, uh, Michael Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was the last thing we wanted to touch someday on. Someday we will have, someday, Eric, we will have an announcement or mm. we will have a transition and none of us will call attention to it. We'll just no. have the announcement. No, we won't have and it. And it'll just move over too... and it'll be great. <laughs> um, so the news just came in right before we started to record that Michael Cohen uh, has surrendered himself yeah, that's good. to the FBI. Um, um, and it made me think about where is this book? Oh well. So Where's the Cohen book? Do we? So I think I think we'd have to listen back and people who like listen to the show and maybe have listened to it more recently than I have um, will know. But I think we talked about this once. But he tried to sell a book. Michael Cohen is Trump's lawyer. Um, for those who don't know, and God bless you if you don't. Honestly, you're living a healthier life than the rest of us. But um, he tried to sell a book back in February. He had that proposal and it was like really shoddy, and it was. Um, largely kind of turned down and then in may they eventually decided to kind of scrap this proposal um because i guess there was just too much like pending litigation over his head you know so they're like we probably can't sell this book to any reputable press knowing that our author is probably like about to be indicted or arrested or something um but like your response is indicative, and I know that I beat this point in the ground. And frankly, I don't care because I think it's an important one, and publishing needs to look itself in the eyes about it. But um, every single one of these people tr- is going to try to use publishing to cash in, and he has. And literally, the only thing that is stopping him is that he's like in handcuffs. You know he's what I mean? He's done too like, many crimes. We put him. We like locked him in a room, and that's why he doesn't have a book deal. You know what I mean? Like, and that's <laughs> but that's the only thing. Everyone else is like absolutely going to cash in on this and they're absolutely going to publish these entirely disingenuous hagiographies and you know all this other crap that's going to come out of this era and publishing needs to get its act together and be more than cable news and actually stand up to a little bit and so far we haven't seen that which is disappointing but i think that at least now that we're having the conversation and i am seeing people have this conversation a little bit more than we have in the past so that's good but like all these guys eventually will use the publishing. And Michael Cohen, too, for instance, like he's shelved the book for now. Like eventually Michael Cohen will be allowed to write a book. Yeah. And what ends up happening, and this is what happened the last time through, too, not to get like too serious right now, but um, publishing eventually works as a legitimizer for people. Yeah. Right. Like, if it you does. think specifically, I'm thinking about all the people from like the Bush era White House, right? Just, I mean, Honestly, monsters, you know, people who did stuff that we've largely forgotten about because they've been able to kind of remake their own image through um, media careers and book publishing. Right. But just people who have been able to reinvent themselves using the media apparatus available to them, the way they were able to do that. And now they're, you know, they're back in the White House. You know, all these old, you know, Bush era neocons are back. And it's largely because they were able to. You know, they were able to kind of make people forget who they were. And it's it comes from, I mean, book publishing plays a huge part in that. And it's going to this time through, like you watch in 10 years, all these Trump people that are so clearly identifiable as monsters right now. Right. You're going to you're going to have a generation of people who didn't live through this as acutely as we did. Right. And they're going to just see these genteel books about leadership and character and, you know, the nature of the country and strength and all this crap. Right. And I just I'm telling you right now, like if we're going to not repeat all this again, like book, you know, the media apparatus and book publishing is at the center of it have to kind of stand up to this attempt to remake your own image. 
through just like uncritical editorial processes where you say, yeah, I'm just going to write my, you know, like serious sounding worldview in this book. We're going to sell it as a hardcover and everyone is going to think because I've written a book that I'm this serious public figure who needs to be allowed in polite discourse instead of exiled properly, you know, and I get mad about it frequently. And I think it is a good thing to get mad about. I think more people should be mad about it. And it's just one of those things. So like the question, like, where's Michael Cohen's book? It's easy right now to say, of course, he shouldn't get a book. He's like this in the trash. He's like, he's this goon. You know what I mean? Like, of course, he doesn't get it. But give it five years. Give it seven years. Give it, you know, once Trump's out of office, whenever that is, you know, like he's going to try again. And then we have to stand up again, even as year passes on, even at the expense of turning down a a book that would sell. Like, that's always what ends up happening is the problem is these books do well, you know, like they're they're lucrative publishing projects. And I just, I don't know, like, you have to show some editorial backbone at some point. And speaking of showing editorial backbone, <laughs> I do want to sneak in one more thing yeah, 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 that it. I learned at Worldcon. Do it, please. Um, so uh, the reason that you're not seeing a lot of, like, recently published books with, like, deckled edges, which if you're not familiar with what a deckled edge is. Oh, we're on the deckled edges. Yes, yeah. I know. It's your favorite thing is a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, so a deckled edge is... Like the the pages of the book that are kind of like roughly cut. So it, it feels kind of old tiny and fancy and you gotta like touch the pages a little bit more and work a little bit harder to turn. Yiddish you Policeman's know. Union, Deckled Edges, that paperback, the best book ever made. Okay. Uh <laughs> both for the content and for the deckle edge. The bookmaking on it is is exquisite. But Yeah. So anyway, um deckle edges are no longer really being produced because idiots will buy the book on Amazon. No, they're just idiots. Like, yeah. we'll buy the book on Amazon and they will get a copy and then they will think that their book is defective even though they can, like, you know, read the words and stuff yeah. because the pages are uneven. And so what they'll do is they'll write to Amazon and they'll say, hey, my book is defective. My book is, like, poor quality even though it's a spectacular, sublime quality in a book, right. a decal edge. Right. Um, and they will complain to Amazon and then Amazon will kind of because they don't have any people working for them um, will take it and then they will like take it out of stock essentially and will make it unavailable to sell until it's sorted out which takes a long time and you know makes a significant you know dent on income and profits so publishers aren't really doing Deckle Edge specifically because Amazon doesn't you know let its customers know that a deck ledge is a beautiful beautiful thing <laughs> so damn it all that sucks tell yeah. everyone you know yeah. to get the paperback made from a long time ago of the yiddish policeman's union probably not the most <laughs> recent probably not the most recent version because they probably took the deck ledge away eric cowards is what they are yes Laura. because like how are you going to like make a beautiful book easier to ship well, you make it so none of the pages can bend. You make it uniform. Yeah, yeah. you make it totally uniform. So yeah. death, like, it, honestly, like, if Amazon did nothing else wrong, this would be enough for me to say, like, <laughs> death to Amazon. It's just, like, no more beautiful, beautiful books. Um, you know, same same with, like, French flaps, which are the flaps on the edges of paperback books. Like, people would yeah. be like, well, why isn't this hardcover? Like, they did something weird to it. Yeah. Like, yeah. don't let, like... Your dumb friends buy beautiful books. Or if they do, teach them about what these beautiful books are. Because mm. it's important that they read. And mm. it's important that they get these stories. But, like, it's also important that we have pretty books. So oh, that man. is something I learned that I am enraged about. Yeah. Uh, that's so good. that's one thing. Yeah. Um, next is our right tip. Yeah, so, so bringing, bringing us to this. This has been a really good episode. Uh, I feel like we've been I missed you so much. a little bit all over the place. And, but very on but at that, the same that's time. That's okay. We ended up a little bit more substantive um, than perhaps even we expected. Just kidding, everybody. Good. We always plan yeah. all of our episodes to be incredibly informative. Yeah, put this in a museum. Um, <laughs> but anyway, our right tip actually is serious today. And it's something that I was kind of... Someone, uh, Clint Smith, he's a writer, um, tweeted it out the other day. And I had been something I'd been kind of thinking about a long time, too. Um, and it's our right tip this week is always, always, always read more than you write. And I think 
that that one resonates with me because you go online and at any given point, um, there's just writing advice and bad writing advice flying around at volumes that can only be described as alarming. You know what I mean? You get people are doing threads and people are doing posts and there's blog posts and there's podcasts and there's all these things that are like teaching you how to write and it's all just, I mean, some of it is good and some of it might be applicable to what you're doing, but there's one truth, I think, about writing and that can absolutely be applied again and again and again. If there was only one piece of writing advice that anyone ever followed, I think we'd be in a pretty good place. And that is to just read way more than you write. Read a ton. Read everything. Decide what you like and what you don't like. Decide what the difference is between what you like and what you're writing, you know? Like, to me, so much of writing and so much of editing, too, like when I work with authors, is about, you know, deciding, hey, we really like this book. We think that this is... Um, something we've read, we want to aspire to it in certain qualities, but um, what we've created, you know, this book you've written, isn't quite there yet. Understanding the difference between those two things and trying to bridge that gap, to me, that's how you improve as a writer. And that starts with reading and deciding what your taste is and deciding what you like, and then being able to take whatever critical reading skills and being able to turn them to your own work, you know? And so, like, there's no real, there's no real shortcut to anything in writing, I think. And the key then, you know, there's not some magic tip. This Roxane Gay was talking about this the other day online too, actually, where, she, you know, she was kind of answering some questions and people were um, asking about, you know, the quickest way to get published or the best insider tricks, all this kind of stuff. And eventually she kind of just said, people are asking me for shortcuts and there aren't any. They're simply, they're simply reading and writing, you know, and... Um, I just I I think that that's really true, and I think we're kind of all conditioned to believe that, um, you know, there's some quick piece of information you can digest and be in a different place. When really, the answer is just to absorb as much as you can from people who have been doing it for longer than you, and then try to copy it in whatever way you can. Um, so that's the right tip: read a ton, and then read write a ton. Later. But start with the Broken Earth trilogy <laughs> and the Yiddish Policeman's Union. Get, yeah. Make sure you get the deckled edge. Yeah. Um, and then we'll go from there. So thank you again so much. Remember, we have all three special episodes coming to you yet this August. Um, and we will see you for a regular episode on Tuesday. Bye.